give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Looks like Brother Don's coming in here in just a moment. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn over to the book of Haggai, chapter 2 and verse number 8. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. We're going to do things a little differently here tonight. And uh, if I stand up there, I'm going to preach to y'all. But if I come down here, I have a, a heavier chance of teaching. Hallelujah. It just must be this, uh, this difference of elevation. It doesn't get to my head. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to continue on, and we're going to be teaching and, and the reason I don't want to preach this I know there's on Wednesday night uh, I, I kind of have a habit and I think it's just a Pentecostal habit of of what we call treaching it's a mix between teaching and preaching and we might do a little bit of that here tonight um, but but really uh, there is some there are some some things that we just need to get down to the brass tacks and and start uh, going in depth hallelujah and, uh, and you'll start seeing probably a lot more of that on Wednesday nights um, in the coming future. All of our leadership is aware, and, and the rest of the church might as well be aware too. But uh, in, in June, we're going to be changing our service schedule. How many likes that 130 service? Oh, wow, maybe just one person. Maybe we shouldn't change. How many likes that 130 service? Okay. Well, in order to be able to effectively reach our Sunday school kids that visit, uh, we're going to be switching to a one-service Sunday, and uh, our Sunday school will be operating during our church service. Uh, we'll be able to all worship together in music and in, and in praise, and then we'll break, and, we'll, and the Sunday school uh, teachers, you'll learn more about that, but uh, we've, already, we've already been working on this on the leadership side, but it's going to give us a better opportunity to have time to fellowship. Everybody said fellowship. It's going to give us an opportunity to, to give our all in the one service. Amen. And, uh, and then what will happen is some people, well, what about teaching? Well, that's why we come on midweek Bible study. Amen. We come to learn and to grow. Wednesday night is a perfect equipping service. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be utilizing Wednesday night for. So uh, if you work late and, and uh, there's some folks that, well, I can't get to church and, and look as pretty as I do on Sunday, just come. Just come. Now, that's not an excuse to... To show up in, in, in the worst you got. But if you got to show up in your work clothes and, and, and come to Bible study, that's what we want. Amen? Uh, because really Wednesday night is about equipping the church to be the church. Amen? Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. Gold is mine saith the Lord of hosts. And we're going to continue uh, with our series about expanding through excellence. And we're going to be teaching here tonight about financial excellence. Everybody said financial excellence. Hallelujah. Why don't you set your Bible down? Let's lift up our hands and let's pray all across the building one more time. Oh, come on. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. I pray that revelation would hit this house of your word, God. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor. Hallelujah. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Shake your neighbor's hand. Tell them God bless you, and you can be seated. 
Hallelujah. I want to respect your time, so we'll get out of here by 11 o'clock. Hallelujah. Amen. If I preach this, we'll be here till 11 o'clock, I promise. Uh, but, but we're going to teach this. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9, as I do when I teach, I like to give a lot of scriptures. Uh, if, you, if you don't have the ability to turn there, we're going to pull them up here on the screen, and we're going to take a moment, and uh, we're going to go through these. Now, I want to start by just calming everybody down. <laughs> you say the word finance or money, and people immediately just, you know, and, and, and everybody's got a reaction, and really... Uh, that reaction and, and, and all of that, it's like Pavlov's dog. You just you ring a bell and they start to drool. And, and then there's other people, they get afraid and they get frightened because when they were growing up, they were conditioned that when money was talked about in the house, it was something to be afraid of. Mom and dad were fighting. Cops were being called. At least that was my household. It was a fight over money, finances, this, that, and the other. But I want to help as a pastor to recondition the church that when we talk about money and finance, it is not to hurt. In fact, if you have viewpoints of money as a negative, uh, that will actually hinder you in life. And you're going to have to throw that mindset out the window. Uh, and I know it's hard. It's not always easy to do that because we were conditioned all of our lives. Well, you know, I've heard this and I've heard that and I, I've got these feelings when somebody talks about money. Uh, to put everybody at ease, I'm not talking about giving tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. We're not talking about giving. We're just going to talk about finance in general. Amen. So let's start with this question. Is money evil? Is money evil? First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That sounds really awful. And if you read that fast, you'll think, well, I don't want to be rich, right? Because you're, you're thinking, oh, no, I'm going to fall into temptation and snare, and it's going to be all sorts of things. No, what that's really saying is those that are going to be rich in this world, they're going to have a temptation the rest of us don't know about. If you can buy an island, missing church is a whole lot uh, easier for those that have to be at work on Monday morning. If you can fly away in your jet for a month, a year, your temptations are not like the average individual who's just trying to get gas to get to work. Amen. So that's what that's saying. If, if you're going to be rich in this world, there's going to be temptations that you will face that others will not face. But let me help those that will. It doesn't say that, that nobody's going to be rich in this world. Mind you, he's writing this to the church. Oh, I'm going to help somebody here tonight. He's writing this to the church that there's going to be people in the church that are rich. And let me just help somebody that you may not see it right now, but there will be people in Apostolic Revival Center that will be rich. Amen. You've come too late to tell me it doesn't happen. I've seen people who, who got saved. One of my best friends got saved six months after me. Uh, he was in low-income housing. His wife, or his, his future wife, at the current time we got saved, was in prison on meth charges and stabbed a woman in the head with a pen. They are multimillionaires today in the church, praying, loving God, uh, supporting the work of God. Amen. Hey, that ought to make somebody shout. I, I, we don't just pray people out of drugs and alcohol. We want to help facilitate an environment where people can go up in life. Hallelujah. And so he's saying that if you're going to be rich in this world, there's going to be some temptations. There's going to be snares uh, and, and many foolish and hurtful lusts. 
And the Bible continues on to say, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Is money evil? Many have taken that verse and they cut out a few words. They say that money is evil. You'll see people misquote it, misrepresent it on Facebook and Instagram that money is evil. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is evil. It's interesting to note that love can be evil when it's placed on the wrong things. Love being the very essence of who God is, God is love. When you start turning it around and you place it on money, that is when it becomes a problem. When you put your affection on an individual above that which of God, it becomes a problem. And so there is a time when love can be an issue, uh, when you love the wrong things and you have desire towards the wrong things. But let's look at that word, uh, those words, love of money. Now, if you read the Bible in English, which the rest of us, maybe some of you don't, but the rest of us normal folk, that's how we read the Bible. We look at it and we see the love of money, but that's actually one word in Greek. It's the word avarice, which... Which you, if you speak Spanish, that's a word you might be familiar with. But, but avarice, the love of money, is one word. And that love of money is not talking about all money. It is, it is going to read this way. The avarice, or the love of money already obtained, already gained. Unlike covetousness, which is an active grasping for more. Avarice is to withhold what you have in hopes of keeping it. Stinginess, if you will, is the root of all evil. Why are people starving? Avarice. It is, it is the withholding. It is the stinginess. It is the greed. Well, well, well why, are, why are people hungry? Because somebody else has food and they're holding on to it. Why are people, why are people not able to do this or to do that? Because there's people that are withholding. And, and, and so when we look at the fact that the withholding of money already obtained is the root of all evil, the issue is not so much in trying to acquire riches, but trying to take their riches with them to the other side. Uh, somebody said that, that you can't, t- you don't ever see somebody with a hearse, with a, a, a U-Haul behind a hearse because you can't take it with you. The Bible says, for, for, for we came in this world with nothing, and it is certain that we shall leave this world with nothing. And so when you have and when you obtain and when you have, uh, that's not evil. Obtaining is not evil. Getting money is not evil. We've got to get that out of our minds. Amen. Some people, they would they will argue that. Now, when we're talking about the Bible, you can argue with the Bible all you want. Now, I'm going to say some things here tonight, and I will preface and say that's my opinion. We can argue on that. But when we're talking about things like this, that the acquisition of money is not evil. You've got to obey the Bible. You've got to look at the Bible and say, that's right. Now, riches that are kept for the owners, uh, the owners, the Bible talks about in Ecclesiastes that it produces hurt. Avarice, the holding of money. Greed is the root of all evil. Temptations fall on the wealthy. Uh, but, but, but those that will be wealthy, God has already put it inside of you that you've got a desire for more in this life, and that's not wrong. You're going to have the very ability to overcome those temptations. If God gave you the ability to earn, to create, to grow, to, to, to produce financial wealth, God will also give you the ability. God will not put, a, put on you more than that which you can handle. 
Amen. And, and some folks that are broke right now, you ought to be saying, God, help me to be able to handle the temptations that come with more. Amen. Give me the ability to overcome those temptations. God, build my character to the level that I can overcome those temptations. And when your character's at the right place, God blesses you. Amen. So is money evil? No. But I'll tell you what money is, Matthew 6 and 21. Money is a moral indicator. Everybody say that. Money is a moral indicator. Is money moral by itself? No. That's like the, the, whole, the whole debate, and I know I'm in good company here in Nevada. Is a gun evil? No. A gun is not evil, just like a hammer is not evil. Now, I could do something evil with a hammer. I just got somebody to shout. I could do something evil with a gun, but that doesn't make the gun evil. So is money evil? No. But what I do with it can make it good or evil. And so what it is is not a moral. It is a moral issue, but it's a moral indicator. And so Matthew 6 and 21 for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, many people have gotten this backwards, that where your heart is, treasure is going to follow. But that's not the case. It says that heart follows money, treasure. Now, you read the context. You flip open to the ESV or another context. It's not, it's not talking about uh, some spiritual idea of treasure. He's literally talking about where, where moth and rust and things come in to destroy and to corrupt. And so he's literally talking about money here on earth. And he's saying, don't store for yourselves things on earth. He says, but, but make yourself rich towards God and store up treasure in heaven. And so he said, your, your heart will be where your treasure is and not vice versa. Give me five minutes. Now, some people, you got to understand my background, nine years in the financial realm. I'm not afraid to talk about money. I've sat with multimillionaires and I've sat with people that got just as many negatives in their account. Uh, I've seen people with the red uh, negatives, overdrafts, and I've seen the people that got enough money that they could buy anything. And I've sat across those tables, and we've had full-on conversations about their financials. And, and, and I, I, I just learned this. I've had to do this with multimillionaires. I've had to do this with people that couldn't afford to get gas that day. You give me five minutes with somebody's bank statement, I'll tell you where their heart is. Oh, Hallelujah. You know, well, I just don't have enough money. And I, I've heard people use that excuse. I don't have enough money for this, and I don't have enough money for that, and I don't have money for my bills, and I don't have money for rent. But then we look at their bank account. We see a Netflix. We'll see a Hulu. We'll see five Domino's orders, right? They put their treasure somewhere, and it's revealing their heart. It's revealing where their heart really wants to be. You can, look at, you can look at my bank statements, and I would, you'd see there, that I love coffee. And you'd see that I love food. I am, a, I am a foodie. I love it. But you know what you'd see that I love more than any of that? I love the church. You'll see that I love people. Amen. And that's not to toot my own horn, but, but, but that's how a lot of people are in this building. If you really looked at it, you'd start to see that's where it is. And so when that, when, and, and I'm not talking about giving here today. We'll do that another time. But when that offering plate goes, maybe my heart's not in it. Maybe my heart's not in it, but my heart will follow my treasure. And sometimes I go and I, I, there's been times where, man, my heart was not in it. And I was at church and I didn't feel nothing. And I've just said, you know what, God, I looked at that verse. God gave me a revelation about that verse. I took my treasure and I put it in that offering plate. And I said, God, maybe my heart's not in it right now, but it will be. Amen. Hallelujah. Mark 4 and 19. Now, when we talk about money, we've got to be careful because, because again, it is a moral indicator. Uh, somebody said that, 
that money doesn't make a man. It just reveals on a, on a greater level what a man is. And so you, you find a man that is broke, destitute, and afflicted, and, and you say, well, I know that man's character. Not really. You give that man a million dollars, and you'll start to find out his character. Because you can't always see somebody's character in one season of their life. And some people are real good Christians when they have nothing, and that's why God keeps them there. But the moment that they receive, they start to do what this verse says. Mark 4 and 19, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Because again, money is, money is not moral, but it is a moral indicator. It can deceive you. The deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, if, the ble- if blessings, quote-unquote, steal the word of God or hinder your walk with God, that is not a blessing. That is not a blessing. Let me say that again. And, and when, when sometimes we fall into this idea that if I have more, that I will be doing better, that I'll be a better Christian. If I, you know, we get down on our knees and, hey, if I'm the only one that's ever done this, God, get me out. I've been homeless. And God, give me a place to live and I'll serve you better. And, oh, God, give me a new job and I'll serve you better. And, and there's times where God has blessed me as, as a test, just like he sent manna in the wilderness. The Bible says that I can prove them. Uh, in other words, that was, that was not blessing. That was a test. And God said, I provided for you, but I wanted to see what you would do with my provision. And there's been times, I promise you, I passed the test with flying colors, and I'm going to tell you, there's been times where I've failed. I remember not having a car, being uh, having no money, and saying, God, I need a car. And God, if you give me a car, I'll pick people up for church. And, and then he gives me a car, and all of a sudden, I've got too much to do, and I'm too busy. And so what happens is God will bless but sometimes you can be deceived by that blessing. Now, there's been other times where we succeed and we do well. Amen. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on from this. So if that blessing steals you out of the house of God, it's not a blessing. If it takes you away from your walk with God, it's not a blessing. I'll tell you right now, and, and, and I'm going to be talking about, about being blessed and all of that. We're going we're to talk about this on a positive note because I feel like we really actually have to, put, we have to bring blessing up in the church, not tear it down. Because there's a lot of people, this world will tear it down for you. Um, but, but at the same time, I would rather walk into heaven broke than go into hell with a yacht. And so we've got to look at that. Amen. That goes to our next point, Luke 18 and 24. Let's talk about this, a famous chapter in the Bible. This is a verse that many have used to say, see, riches are wrong. Money is wrong. Okay, But if you read the context, you'll understand a little better. Luke chapter 18, verse 24, and when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, he's talking about the rich young ruler, went away having great possessions. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? In other words, they're saying, wow, if a rich man can't be saved, who can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible for God. So is it impossible for you to go to heaven and be rich? Now, some have said, well, to get through the eye of the needle, and they, they've used this, uh, this, uh, this ideology that there's a place in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and the camel's got to get down on his knees and take everything off and, and crawl through that eye. There's no place in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. People have been taught wrong. That is, that is, not, a, that is not a place. Uh, not to mention it's physically impossible for a camel to crawl on its knees. So he's not saying, he's actually saying this, what he just finished off saying, with man, it's impossible. So just like it'd be impossible for a camel to get through an eye of a needle, that's how impossible it is with man 
that are rich to go to heaven. But he said, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. So do I have to be poor to be saved? No, because with God, all things are possible. That, that verse actually translates out this. How hard, it is, how hard is it for those that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? When all your trust is in riches, that's where we have a problem. When you trust in the almighty dollar and not in God, that's where the, because you can't buy your way into heaven. Hallelujah. You can't pay enough to go to heaven. You can't trust enough in those riches. I don't care how much money Steve Jobs had, he still died. You can't pay your way into good health. You can buy the greatest, nicest doctors that have the best and most degrees, but you cannot pay enough money to heal yourself. Amen. So don't put your trust in riches. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 12. Is this all right tonight? It's all right tonight? Okay. Making sure. I promise I'm not going to keep you too long. Now, if I'm preaching, we're going to be here all night. The Bible says, for wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to all them that have it. So, we look at this. Let's skip down to Ecclesiastes 10 and 19. I'm going to tie these verses together. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Can I tell somebody, sometimes money is the answer. I thought I'd get a few more amens on some reality there. Sometimes money is the answer. Sometimes money does come to your defense. Now, I know that it seems like I'm contradicting myself. Oh, pastor, I got bills to pay. Pray for me. Prayer is not the answer. Oh, I got a light bill. Pray for me. Prayer is not the answer. Oh, oh I'm hurting somebody right there. You need money. All right, well, let's go in for a moment. Money answereth all things. Sometimes money comes to your defense. I got a ticket when I was in Spokane. I've not had a ticket since I was 21 years old. I don't typically speed, and I got it in an area that I was so familiar with, and I got a ticket. The guy pulled me over, and the minute I said I don't live here anymore, that's when I knew I was going to get a ticket. And, and that ticket, guess what? I can pray about that ticket. I can fast about that ticket. I can go ahead and, and worship and dance and do the whirly bird about that ticket. But if I don't pay that ticket, it's not going away. Somebody said amen. Thank God for reality. Hallelujah. There are some things in life that money is the answer. Oh, I thought we were spiritual. We are spiritual, but we're also natural. And if you don't pay your rent, you will be homeless. Oh, I'm going through a trial. No, you're not. You didn't pay your bills. Ah, uh, <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, the devil's attacking me. My cell phone got shut off. You didn't pay the bill. Oh, oh, pastor, I, I don't have any food in my cupboard. You didn't go to work. Oh, I'm going through it. God's testing me. No, he's not. Go get a job. Watch God bless you. Watch God provide. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, hey, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. I've been there where there's been more month than there's been money. So anybody who says you don't know what you're talking about, I've been there. I've been in a place where I needed God to provide, but I promise you, I didn't need God to give me spiritual support. I needed God to bless me with a job. I didn't pray, God, let money fall out of heaven. But I did say, God, I need money. Because if I don't get money, these bills will not get paid. And I do have testimonies of times where God has sent a check in the mail. 
But I'm going to tell you, there's been more times than not that God woke me up in the morning, and I hit that alarm clock I didn't like, and I went to work, and I worked 40, 50, 60 hours that week, and then I got a paycheck because I worked, and then I paid the bills. They're both miraculous. They're both miraculous. Well, I'm only spiritual if mail checks come in the mail. I'm only spiritual when, when food shows up. No, you're spiritual when you get up and you go to work every day and you provide. Hallelujah. Because sometimes money is the answer. And there's some things that doesn't matter what you do. Money is the only answer. Hallelujah. Let's talk about some people that were rich in the Bible. I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through a few. Abraham, one of the richest men in the world. He had gold. He had silver. He had camels. David, the Bible says at the end of his life, he was absolutely rich. Solomon, he had more riches than he knew what to do with. Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus. Well, you can't be a disciple of Jesus and be rich. Yes, you can. And he took Jesus to the tomb we're about to preach about on Easter. That was his tomb that he bought, that he paid for with his wealth, with his money. We wouldn't have had a tomb that we preach about had Joseph of Arimathea not got a job, gone to work, and bought that tomb. Oh, well, everything in the Bible is spiritual. No, not everything in the Bible is spiritual. It's very natural. It's very physical. He was rich. Zacchaeus the little short man. He was short, but he was rich, the Bible says. Lydia was a seller of purple. Purple was for royalty. She knew everybody who's everybody. And the Bible says God opened her heart. There's, there's people across the city that are like Lydia. They're sellers of purple. They're influencers. They've got connections to people that we would never, ever, ever have connections with. And God's reaching for them. God's opening their heart, and God's going to bring them here. Amen. But, but mark my words, God will not bring anybody wealthy into the church if the church has got a stinky attitude about wealthy people. Now hear me out. We will let somebody come in who does not have a home, but we will let somebody come in that owns a yacht. Because that's how the church is. We're not for the poor. We're not a soup kitchen. We're not just that. We're also for those that have. We're for those that have not and those that have. That's what makes the church beautiful. But they will never come to the church, even if God opens their heart, if people see them walk in. And maybe they got a Rolex, and you've never seen a Rolex, and you get mad. Oh, they need to take that off. And, well, you don't know how much they've worked and how hard they've put their their efforts in. And, oh, nobody driving a Tesla is going to come to this church, and nobody driving a Mercedes is going to come to this church. And and, and, and you got to be careful with that attitude because that's just as rotten as saying, well, no poor people can come here. We are no respecters of persons, and neither is God. Amen. Well, let's look at this. Well, nobody rich can be saved. Nobody rich can come to church. Well, then let's talk about the first church in Acts chapter 2. Selling their, their lands, plural. Selling houses, plural. Okay, we're not talking about a, a, a ghetto, fo- ghetto folk from Goshen anymore. We're talking about people that had houses and lands. They had extra. That didn't mean they sold the home they lived in. No, they said, no, oh, you know, I got a couple thousand acres out here in Carson City, Nevada. I don't really need it. But the church really needs a building, so let's sell that. Uh, somebody said amen. They had it. They had it. They had it. God was saving everybody. It wasn't just one demographic. And then there was the Corinthian church. The Bible says they were wealthy. Amen. We can keep going forever. So, are people wealthy in the Bible? Yes. Can wealthy people be saved? Yes. Is money evil? No. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about poverty for a moment. Proverbs 6 and 9. Hallelujah. Amen. I promise if you take some of these principles, again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking through the Bible. I've got way more than, than we've got time for. But 
If you look through the Bible, you'll start finding secrets to success, keys to being a, because uh, again, we're, we're here about getting people to heaven. We talked about eternal life, but I've said this before and I say this a million more times. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Abundant life only works here on earth. And so uh, you can be destitute, afflicted, and, and discouraged, and in debt, and all these other things if you want to be, but there is no biblical requirement that you have to be. Amen. God never cursed anybody to be poor, okay? It's not a generational curse. Well, my parents were poor, and I have to be poor. There is no scripture in the Bible that says, thou shalt be poor, okay? So we got to get that out of our minds because that's not the will of God. Let's talk about what leads to poverty. The Bible says, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. In other words, laziness leads to poverty. I'll applaud myself on that one. Hallelujah. Laziness leads to poverty. Well, well, let, let's, let's take this in reverse. What if you're impoverished? What if you're poor? We're not making fun of anybody here tonight. I don't have anybody in mind. I, I, God gave me this whole excellence deal, and I've been working it one, one, one section at a time, and we're not done yet, but I, I, he gave me several sections, and we're working on one at a time. But let's say that somebody's poor here tonight. You don't have to be that way. But sometimes we have to ask the question, why? Why I'm in this position? Well, I just deserve it. That's not in the Bible. Well, I was just born that way, and it's always going to be that way. That's not in the Bible. If we believe God can take somebody from being a drunk and make them a saint who's sober, then we ought to believe that God can take somebody who's been homeless and make them a preacher. Okay? We've got to have the same level of faith to believe that. But laziness does lead to poverty. That one of the first things God ever did, and uh, pull up uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, because this will help me tie into what I'm about to say. One of the first things God ever did for Adam and Eve is he put them in the garden to tend the garden. Well, there was no sin. There was no problems. And you know what the first thing he did? He gave them a job. And, and let me just tell you right now, well, I don't need a job. I don't need to work. Now, maybe if you're so blessed you don't need to work, that's fine. Praise God. Uh, share some with the rest of us. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. There, there's, some, there's some attachments there. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And, and so, so right here, Adam and Eve get a job. God blesses them. There's no sin, but a job was still intact. In and then we go into this verse, 1 Timothy 5 and 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's some powerful Bible right there. That is, that is, that is very, if you're, if you're on the wrong side of that scripture, I promise it's going to offend you. Um, but, but sometimes that's a good thing when the Bible offends us because it makes us really look at this. And, and some people say, well, I've got all the faith in the world. I pray all the time. I've got all this. But if you look at va- verses like this and avoid them, you have denied the faith because it's, it's just as important to work, to provide for your own household as it is to pray, to fast, to do all these different things. Hallelujah. And so, and, and let me just talk to my generation for a moment. This generation has got a bad rap. It's got a bad rap that they're lazy, they're directionless. And the truth is, is that there's so much to be done that honestly in this generation, they, they're afraid to do anything because they feel like they're going to fail at it. 
And, 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 and it's, it's be quick for previous generations to cut them down and say, well, you're good for nothing. Uh, and you can't, and, and just help perpetuate that feeling. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, we've got to provide the right kind of environment for this generation to walk in and say, hey, it might be a little tough out there. And I know you can't buy a house like your parents did at 30 grand, but it's still possible to be a success in this generation. Amen. But let me just speak to my generation again. This is my opinion. I'll, I'll preface it with that. But if you are 18 years old and you do not have a job, you need to go get one. If you're going to school, okay, go get your degree. That's great because you're working on something. You're going somewhere. If you are not doing anything to help your future, you are, you are not providing for your own because you've got kids down the road. You've got a family down there. Well, I don't have anybody right now. Well, that's okay. One day you will. And you're already setting it in the precedence. I will not provide for those in my own household. And so if you're going to school, do your thing. Do your thing. That's fine. Okay. Get your degree because you're working on something. But if you do not have a job, you need to go get one. Because if nothing else, if nothing else, uh, you can help the church get to the next building. Hallelujah. And, and I'll just say this because I've seen it in my home church. You know, it wasn't those that were 40 and 50 years old that got their church to the next building. It wasn't. No, I'll, I'll tell you history. This is not hyperbole. This is, not, this is history. It was those of us in our, in our young teens to our 20s to our almost 30s, starting businesses, getting jobs. And it was those of us that provided to get the church to the next building they're in now. And, and, and I went there, and I see so many people I don't even know, I don't even recognize. But it happened... Uh, because some of us got the vision. I'm telling you right now, if you don't have bills and your parents are paying your bills, go get a job and help your parents out. Now, let me just say this, because I don't want to offend anybody. You, if your parents tell you, don't get a job, don't, okay, fine, you listen to your parents. You do what your parents tell you to do. But you should at least be providing for your future, setting aside a, a savings account, investing. If nothing else, just, just start helping your parents with a light bill. All the parents said amen. Hallelujah. But this is good. This is an order. And so uh, it, was, it was those of us in that age range that, that we, God started blessing and God started helping. Well, I don't see where I'm going right now. That's okay. Start with step number one. Well, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Just do something with your life right now, and God will reveal it. Amen. My best friend, uh, and I, I'm sorry for all the personal references. Usually when I teach, I don't like to give personal references. My best friend and I, we started our jobs working at 15 and, uh, and, and I wasn't even old enough to get a job, but I got one anyways. Hallelujah. But we started working, and uh, he was working at Dairy Queen. I was working at Arby's, and we were making, I think, five bucks an hour or something like that. Uh, real big money right there. And, uh, but we were trying our best, and, and we both wanted to move forward in life. And we both, you know, so we started getting different jobs, and God blessed us. And, and when this job wouldn't give us a raise, we, we, we worked harder, worked harder, worked harder. They wouldn't give us a raise, and we'd apply at another place because we knew we were worth more than that. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. But... Uh, we knew our worth, and so I started working at the banks, and my friends started working for Best Buy, good old glorious Best Buy. And in that, he, he was working in one department, and they floated him over to the camera department. And he didn't know anything about cameras. And mind you, he was making, I think, eight bucks an hour at that point. We were high rollers, and uh, we were struggling to make our rent. We were roommates, but, but we were trying. We were trying. We were just doing our best. And it was there that he started learning about cameras. And it was from that, he said, you know what, I'm going to buy one of these cameras. I got a discount. He bought that camera, and he started doing little videos. And it seemed real stupid. We all made fun of him. 
And then he started recording. He recorded a wedding. It was he made his first $100. And listen, if you see that video, it is terrible. It's, a, it's a, just a ghetto camera. You can barely see it. It's blurry. This is years and years and years ago. This is 10, 12 years ago. And, and then he bought his next camera. And then he started on Craigslist and got a little thing going where he said, I, I, I video weddings. And now he's got a business that supports the church he pastors. Well, I just don't see what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, he didn't see Best Buy in his future. But if he hadn't gone to Best Buy, he'd never gotten the camera department. And he'd never gotten to the business that he's into now. Now he's got a second or third business he's starting off of that. And he's pastoring a church. And he's funding the church that he's pastoring. We're talking about worldwide missions here. Uh, this is how it happens. And, and, and he would have never saw that had he not taken one step forward. So, hallelujah. I'll leave it there. Don't want to beat a dead horse. Proverbs 11 and 24. We're talking about excellence in finance. I hope I don't offend anybody. That's not my intention. Hallelujah. But I think that this generation, if we don't do something, if we're too scared to do anything, we'll do nothing. And all the gifts and talents that our previous generations have provided to us will be wasted. Amen. Because when this, hey, let me just say this to this younger generation. If, if, if this younger generation doesn't step up, when this older generation dies off, who's going to support the work of God? Amen. So... So mom and dad, you better be behind this preaching here today because it's very important because your legacy that you've been working so hard for and building the church will crumble in one generation if the next generation does not get it. Hallelujah. Proverbs 11 and 24. There is that scattereth yet increaseth, and there is that which withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. So what else leads to poverty? We talked about not having a job, laziness. Okay. Well, guess what? Withholding. Withholding your time, withholding your energy, withholding your, 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 your giving, biblically speaking, is something that will lead to poverty. Proverbs 13 and 8. Let's get moving through this so I don't keep everybody here all night. Proverbs 13 and 8. Uh, I'm sorry, 18. I'm sorry. I, gave you the, I might have given you the wrong verse. 18. Proverbs 13 and 18. Hallelujah. There we go. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction. But he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm poor. Can anybody tell you no? I'm unemployed. Well, when the last boss told you to show up on time and you didn't, you didn't want to accept it. Hey, this is real good Bible right here. I know, I know y'all think I'm reading from the Koran, but I'm not. I'm reading from the King James Version right there. If you don't accept instruction from the pastor, from the police, from the parent, from the from the city official, from your boss that you don't like that tells you to clean the fryers every night because you're a Christian. I've been there too. And they are rude to you and you have you don't party with them. We talked to somebody else the other day about being an outcast at your job and, and you know what? You just pick up those boxes anyways because oh it's not my job, but the boss told me to do it, so I'm gonna do it. But that person that does not accept and does not listen to to instruction or reproof that person will be poor. Mark it down. That person will be poor. Proverbs 23 and 21. So, so any way to find the answer on any of these of how to not be poor, just reverse these. <laughs> so instead of lazy, I'm going to do something, right? Instead of, instead of not accepting reproof, I'm going to accept reproof. Okay, so there's, re there's redemptive lift in every one of these verses here. Proverbs 23 and 21. For the drunkard and the glutton, Look at that. He puts gluttony and drunkenness in the same passage. Shall come to poverty and drowsiness. That goes back to laziness. Shall clothe a man with rags. In other words, addictions 
Okay, we, we preach about those. That's easy. Oh, don't, don't, you know, my parents never had money to pay. I had to pay light bills. I had to pay rent. Oh, can we borrow money? Can we have this? And yet they'd go spend $100 a week on cigarettes. My dad would sell, and we had a joke in my house that if you were missing something, dad probably pawned it. I know some of y'all have never seen the inside of a pawn shop, but all my, all my childhood's in the pawn shop. So I'm um, missing my toothbrush. Dad probably pawned me 20 cents, you know. And, and there, I think, you think that's a joke, but some of us all live through that. You know, when your parents have to put your, your name on the electric bill because their credit's so messed up, somebody, somebody help me out here. Amen. Uh, but addictions will lead you to poverty. Well, you know, I just can't let go of my movies. I can't let go of my cable. Yeah, you go ahead and pay $200 a month, and yet, you, you know, I don't have gas to get to church. Yeah. And I stayed up all night watching Netflix, and I, I just couldn't make it to work. I was too drowsy. Your addictions will lead to your poverty. But let's talk about this since we're knocking on people that probably aren't addicted to meth or crack like my family. Uh, let's talk about glutton. Sometimes overindulgence will lead to poverty. Let's go to Proverbs 21 and 17. Hallelujah. The besetting sin of Pentecost right here. Now, now everybody's going to want to go to eat after church. Hallelujah. But it connects with this. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. And he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. In other words, if you're the kind of person, oh, I just have to have. I just have to have that Apple Watch. I just have to have this new car. I just, I just have to have that new thing from Chick-fil-A. That's probably my... My problem right there. I just, I just have to have another cup of coffee. I just, I just have to have a trip. I just have to have, and, and we are not satisfied with what we do have, and we've always got to have more, and we're the person that the Bible says that, that it talks about the, the horse leech has two sisters, and she cries, give me, give me. There's probably a third sister in the house. Hallelujah. Uh, but but, but that, that spirit of I'm not satisfied with what I have, give me more, give me more. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. I want to set that, that straight. If you want to go on a vacation, you deserve it. You worked all your going on a vacation. Be blessed. You want, to, you want to get a cup of coffee, go ahead. But he's talking about those that are overindulgent. They can't say no. They're like the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a man given to hunger. And the Bible says put a knife to your throat. And it's saying if you're a man given to hunger, you hold yourself back. You rein yourself in. Don't you allow yourself in front of that rich person, because that's what that verse is talking about. Don't you allow yourself to go as if you're at a buffet and eat everything on his table, because he'll never invite you back to his table. Let me preach to the takers for a moment. You, you take everything, and they'll never invite you back. But, but if you kind of have a withholding, and you just say, hold on, I'm going to wait. This is biblical wisdom right here. If you're the kind of, I have to have, even though I can't afford it. Pleasure addiction is making a lot of people poor in our world. Oh, Amazon i got to have something new on Amazon. And, and, and my father was preaching when he was here. He always buys stuff on Amazon. But he's worked real hard, and it's not overindulgence. He can afford it. But, but he's never going and saying, man, I need a $38 million jet. Oh, let me preach about this. Proverbs 10 and 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and it addeth no sorrow with it. If, it, if, it's, if it's a blessing from God, you won't suffer. Oh, hallelujah. Let me preach to the person that makes minimum wage. I got to have a Bugatti. I got to have a brand new Mustang. And the payment's $1,000 a month and you make $1,200. And you show up to church, look what God blessed me with. My brand new car, I'm blessed. Until we see the repo man show up at church. 
Yeah. Oh, I got so blessed of God. It's not a blessing if it causes sorrow. Hallelujah. It's not a blessing if you have to miss church so you can work an extra 10 hours to try to pay for things that you don't need to impress people you don't like. Wow, look at how God blessed me. And then it get repoed outside the church and you need, to, you need to ride home. That is not a blessing from God because God will bless you and it will add no sorrow. Amen. Hallelujah. God will bless you and it will add no sorrow. Look at all my new stuff. Now some people, my precious is this is my stuff. And they're holding on to it. I can't let go of my stuff. And they'll, they'll buy. I'm, I know what it is to hide from the rent center guy. Because I had a brother that always needed a new couch. See, somebody laughed because they know what I'm talking about. They will knock on your door. Did you know that? They will send the repo company to your house, and they will take the couch you're sitting on. I've seen it. I've had it happen. Hallelujah. Not to me, but to my brother. But they'll take that couch, and, and, and you know what they'll do? They'll hook you and say, oh, it's just $10 a week. And somebody who doesn't know the value of $10 is like, yeah, they make $7 an hour, right? It's going to take you little over an hour to pay for that couch that week and you got cut on hours and so uh, I remember times where that stuff happened and my brother would bring people over this when he was in church look at what God blessed me with and I think to myself God did not bless you with any of this it's not paid for if you got to make the payment that's not a blessing that's called you bought something oh come on somebody say amen we're teaching here tonight hallelujah Proverbs 28 and 6 hallelujah we got to get rid of pleasure addiction in this generation. Hey, you don't have to post about everything. And, and oh, if I don't show them, if I don't have a brand new car to show everybody on Instagram, you're going to try to, you're going to go into debt to try to impress people that you don't even know. So you can get a like. Hallelujah. Oh, look at how wonderful my life is. I know I have friends that will travel the world and they can't afford their rent. Uh, my... <laughs> Would I only get a call or a text? If you're listening, I rebuke you and I love you. Hallelujah. I only get a call or a text when she wants to borrow money. She thought because I was evangelizing, traveling the world, I was just like filthy rich. My family just thinks I'm loaded or something. And and mind you, I I, I paid a lot of money to travel and, and it was not always reimbursed and it cost me a lot, but I was trying to preach the gospel, not hang out in Maui, but uh she, she always tries to borrow money from me, and, and I can bet. I go, oh, my sister texts me. I said, wait for it. And then, hey, do you have $1,000 I can borrow? I was 19 years old, and I said, if I had $1,000, I wouldn't give it to you. I pay my rent. And uh, recently, a couple, a, couple, a couple months ago or whatever, she goes, hey, I was just wondering, you got any extra airline miles so I can take my boyfriend off to, to, to Hawaii? If I had airline miles, I'd take my wife to Hawaii. <laughs> but that's how some people are. They get this addiction that I want to show everybody that my life's perfect. And yet the bills are not paid and the dishes are not washed. And, and we only show the part we like, right? Don't judge your life by everybody's, everybody else's reel, right? Their clip. Hallelujah. Oh, just enjoying my time in Maui. You went in debt to get there. It wasn't a blessing. Right? That's your that's your clip, that's your reel, that's your that's your five hundred like post. But this generation we've got to stray away from that. 
in the church. We've got to say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I just care what God thinks about me. Hallelujah. Amen. Proverbs 28 and 6. Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness, up, uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. So let me help all those. Listen, if you had to choose between the two. Now, I'm, I'm saying this hypothetically, if you had to choose. Now, in life, you don't have to choose. Okay? But if you had to choose, I'd rather be poor with my dignity and righteous than to be wealthy and corrupt. But thankfully, God in life does not force us to choose uh, whether or not we are rich or righteous. These are not two different categories, okay? Just like poor does not mean you're pious. Because you got less in the bank, it doesn't make you more spiritual than the person next to you. And somebody said amen. Psalms 49 and 16. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his own house is increased. Let me help somebody else out as well. Do not get jealous or lose heart when somebody else is blessed. Somebody said amen. Somebody shout amen. Don't lose heart when somebody else gets blessed because you're next. Amen. And if God so blessed your neighbor with a brand new house, brand new car, that means God's in your neighborhood. And that means God could bless you next. And hey, if God's in a cheerful, joyful mood and blessing people and giving people a brand new car, and I'm talking about giving it to them. I've had friends get, I had a friend get a Mercedes, and he just got it given to him, and he didn't pay for it. No payments. That's a blessing from God. So, uh, and if God's just in the mood for blessing people, uh, God bless us and give us a building for free. I don't care, or whatever it takes. If you're just in the blessing mood and you bless brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, I'm not afraid about that. I'm not afraid that God blesses. Go ahead. Bless them. Bless him. Bless her. But God, don't forget about me. Everybody said amen. Let's talk for a moment. We might have to finish this up a later time because I don't want to keep anybody here too late. But let's talk about where wealth should not come from. Proverbs 13, 11. And I'm going to help somebody here because in this generation, this is very prevalent. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. In other words, if you've got to lie, cheat, or steal to get it, if it's got to be dishonest, that is vain. Okay? So, if you got to be, if you got to go and, and, and you got to write a fake check, my brother had rubber checks. Man, we're getting pizza tonight. I'm like, you ain't got money. He's like, we're getting pizza tonight. Okay. I ate the pizza. Hallelujah. But, so God forgive me for that. Wealth gained by fraud or dishonesty or by, this is what it translates out to in this modern culture, get-rich-quick schemes disappear. But hard work always pays off. Pastor, why are you talking about this? Do you know what Nevada was built on? Silver and gold. Okay? People came out here to do what? Get rich quick. Reno and Vegas and even Carson was built by the mob. Okay, I think we forget our history. Built by the mob, right? That's why prostitution's legal, gambling's legal, and, and this is this is this is the danger. And we've got to be careful. See, we got to fight against the spirits of our area that have been here long before we showed up. The 
attitude that says I'm going to increase by vanity or by get-rich-quick schemes is like going into the casino and putting $5 in, right? Putting the littlest amount in and hoping for the greatest return. I'm going to put in the littlest effort and expect the most back. That's vain, and that will always decrease. That's why, hey, these casinos are building buildings every week. How are they building so many buildings? How do they own so much land? How are they so wealthy? If, if it's so easy to get rich when you go in there to gamble, man, they should be going bankrupt. But they're not going bankrupt. Those that are going in with, with, the, with the gold and glitz in their eyes, I'm going to get some money. It's greed. It's saying, I, I want more. It's covetousness. It's I'm going to put in $5, and I'm going to win that $10,000 car. I'm going to put in $5 on number five, and I'm going to end up with $6 million. It's a lie. The odds are against you. And that kind of money will dissipate. Hallelujah. Let me just tell you, pyramid schemes, they are not of God. Hallelujah. If you make more money off of getting somebody on your team, I don't want to offend anybody. If you make more money getting somebody on your team than you do for selling your product, that's called a pyramid scheme. Okay? We've all been sold one a few times. Hallelujah. Now, that's okay. If you want to sell it, that's fine. Make money off the product. You believe in the product? That's great. Sell the product. But if you can, oh, man, it's going to cost you $5 to get in. But if you get somebody on your team, you're going to get $10 million, uh, and it's going to be all great. And if you get it, hey, listen, that's a pyramid scheme, and the only one winning is the dude at the top. Hallelujah. Well, I thought I was going to teach tonight, but hallelujah. At the end of the day, though, don't try to get rich quick. That's why we don't believe in gambling. It's not because it's inherently evil for you to, you know, roll the wheel, throw the ball, you know, and, 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 and go roulette. No, that's, that's not necessarily pulling a little thing and watching everything. Oh, man, I got three cherries. You know, that's, that's not inherently evil. Okay? But we are against people wasting their hard-earned money. Putting their families at risk. Because they're trying to make it rich. They're trying to get rich quick. But we do believe in hard work. Amen. But you got to be careful because the gambler will always come by and say, oh, man, 10 to 1, you make your money back. <laughs> you know, you could get out of your condition a lot faster if you just do it this way, right? And it'll tell you, ah, you don't need to work that job. It's taking too long to make the money. But you show up faithfully day in and day out. You're there faithfully, and you're working, and you're putting your best in, and you're seeing people that, that look like they're doing good for a moment, and you get discouraged because you're not there yet. And, and, and then, but you look at it when you come down, and their scheme falls to the ground, and they have nothing left over. You're still working your job. You're still being blessed. Hallelujah. Financial excellence, folks. Financial excellence. Uh, uh, let me just put a plug out there. I work with, I, I'm sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Forgive me, but we'll come back to this another time. Let me just help somebody out here. If you believe in dinar, you don't know what that is, that's cool. But if you believe in dinar, you need to come and pray through. And I'll tell somebody, I worked at the bank for many years. And I know this, oh, what are you off on this? You're supposed to be teaching the Bible. I am teaching the Bible. Oh, the dinar. You know what that is? That's Iraqi money. Used to be, used to be. But when we conquered Iraq... Bush conquered Iraq, it no longer was a currency. And they get emails. And I worked with people. I'm talking about I work with very smart people and I work with very stupid people. Oh, it's going to be millions one day. 
And they send emails every week. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I talk people out of selling their, their kids' bikes and selling their cars and all these things. Don't go after the get-rich-quick scheme. you gotta, you got to rein it in. That's, that's not going to happen. It's never been promised. It's never going to happen. The U.S. federal government denies it's ever going to happen. Don't believe in that. And they'd go and they'd, 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 they'd start putting loans on their cars and they'd put a second mortgage on their house. I've seen people lose their homes over get-rich-quick schemes. And they never work out. I'm talking to somebody. Well, I, I don't see how that applies to the church. If you take a second mortgage out and you can't afford to pay that mortgage and you lose your house and you're on the streets because you thought there was a great idea to get rich real fast. And now the church has got to come by and pick you up and help you instead of you picking the church up and helping the church by your hard work and your effort. The kingdom of God suffers. Hallelujah. Lift up our hands and let's pray. Hallelujah. Somebody pray. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I hope that's okay. I'm just trying to teach the, that, that some people don't need to hear this because it doesn't offend, it doesn't affect them. But there's others that they, they've, got, they've got lied to about all these other things. Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. Amen. Proverbs 23 and 19. Again, if I offend you, you can come see me after service. Uh, these are biblical principles, and they are true. They were true 50 years ago. They're true today. Uh, they don't change. Uh, these are things that I had to look at when I was trying to make my own way. Nobody told me about finances. There was no class. Nobody helped me figure out my credit. Nobody ever. I had to go through the Bible just like I'm doing with you right here and say, because I had people try to get me on these Ponzi schemes and try to get me get rich quick. And if you just invest it, I had to, I had to go back to these scriptures because they spoke to me. Proverbs 23 and 19. Let's talk about this for a moment. Thou shalt not lend upon usury, that is interest, to thy brethren, brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury or interest. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury. All the church said amen. But unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all thou settest thy hand to do, and in the, la in the land whither thou goest to possess it. What is that saying? Don't charge your brother interest. Hallelujah. Now, I'm a big believer that, that really, if you're going to lend something out, give it away. If somebody says, man, can I borrow 100 bucks? If you're a brother in the church, sister in the church, and they want to borrow money from you, don't lend anything you're not willing to let go of and not be bitter at them for. Is that all right? Is that all right? Okay. Because I've seen churches split because I, 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 I lent money out to this person. I've seen people backslide because I lent money out to this person and they never paid me back. Uh, hey, I've, I've got thousands of dollars from a friend in the church. He's still in the church and he's never paid me back. And I just let it go. I just let it go. But the Bible says don't charge your brother interest. So if you're going to lend to them, don't be like, okay, I'm going to lend you 100 bucks, but I want back 150 You are You are not the payday loan place, okay? Hallelujah, 750% interest. So uh, we don't believe in that. Now, if you got a business and that's kind of something you work with or you, you, uh, you know, here's another thing I can say this translates to. Don't, don't overcharge your brother or sister. If you're talented at something, charge what you're worth, charge your time, but don't overcharge your brother. Is this all right? We're talking about financial excellence. We're talking about what God will bless. He said that God would bless you. And so don't charge your brother or sister too much. Now, hey, let me, let, me, let me talk to some people that have got skills, talents, and ability. I'll tell you the flip side. It says, but everybody else, hey, 
Don't do, sh don't do some business that's shady or anything like that. But if you think you're worth $10,000 for that job or it's going to be, you know, man, I just feel like $15,000 for that job. Go ahead and charge them $15,000 for that job. Well, it's only going to take me 20 minutes. They don't know that, and they don't have the skills to do that. I heard a story of a guy. Uh, he was fixing a, fixing a boat, and they called him in. Nobody could figure anything out. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And this guy comes in, and, and he, he listens, and he takes a hammer, and he hits this engine, and it kicks on. And he says, and he writes him an invoice, $10,000. And they said, why are you charging us $10,000? All you do is hit the engine block with a hammer. He goes, okay, let me, he sends him a new invoice. He says, $1 for hitting the engine block. $9,999 for knowing where to hit the engine block. <laughs> right? Right? If you put the energy in to learn your craft, Brother Worley, you're great at your craft. You deserve to be paid the best. Oh, somebody said amen for Brother Worley. If you are gifted, talented, ability, I can't do what you can do. So if I'm going to hire you, you do your job. I have no idea how you did it. It might take you 15 minutes, but charge what you're worth. And all the church said amen. Financial excellence. Hallelujah. Proverbs 22 and 7, coming down a home stretch, and uh, we can continue this another time. I'm going to finish with this, and, and, and maybe I'll just be done here because this, this can take a moment. Proverbs 22 and 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay. Biblically speaking, being in debt is slavery. Biblically speaking. Now, we've got to be honest, and we've got to, we've got to give a very, very fair approach to this subject. Being in debt biblically is slavery, but we've got to fully understand what we say when we say debt. Okay, here's a question. Is student debt an asset or a liability? Depends on how you use it. So when we talk about a liability, that's something that could cause you to go under. An asset something that could cause you to go up. An asset something that makes you money. Liability something that costs you money. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at this. Uh, it depends on how much you use, how much you, you, it took to get your degree and how much you're going to make with that degree. Oh, I spent $80,000 uh, a year going to Harvard, and I got my doctorate in basket weaving. In the words of Brother Arnold, you're a moron. <laughs> oh, I, I, I went and spent $70,000 a year so that I could learn how to shine shoes. You could have done that just going and shining shoes. So what did you do? It's a liability, and you cost yourself money. And guess what? You're going to have to pay that debt off. And, and the truth is, you got, a, you got a degree in something nobody wants to hire you for, so you're going to go work at McDonald's flipping burgers, and you're going to pay off that debt. But if you're like, you know what, it's going to take me, it's going to take me, uh, you know, $80,000 a year, but I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to, and it's going to, and I'm going to make $500,000 a year, go do it. Because at that point, that degree is an asset because they won't hire me to work on somebody's heart. But they'll hire you, and they won't pay me a penny to work on somebody's heart. But you went through your doctorate, your residency. You went through everything. You put in the time, the energy. At that point, it is an asset. Okay. Let's talk about is a house an asset or a liability. You're going to find the answer is the same, Brother Worley. It depends. Okay. These, again, they're not. I'm talking about just in general. Because... Renting forever sounds like slavery to me. Until the day you die, you're paying somebody else's mortgage note, right? That sounds like slavery to me. That sounds like nothing but interest. 
okay? But if you're from the Bay Area and 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 to buy a little rundown house costs you eight million dollars, okay? But you can rent for three thousand dollars, right? At that point, it costs you a lot less in your short 80 years of life to rent. Thankfully, we don't live in the Bay Area. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. So it all depends. It all depends. Is that home going to fall apart on you? Well, okay. Do, do I have the money to make repairs? Right? I'm helping somebody out here tonight. I know that it doesn't seem like that, but I am. Okay? So it could also be that owning could be a burden during certain economies. You buy your house for $500,000, and then you're in a job that is dependent on the economy, and it crashes, and then guess what? You lost your house. Now you're back to renting, and you lost all your equity. Okay, so at that point, it's not an asset. It's a liability. So there's no straight answer on this. Let's talk about this. Is a car an asset or a liability? Well, it is, no matter what you say, a depreciating asset, which means the value goes down, 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 and it could be a liability if it costs too much to run, to fix. Uh, when we first got here, we had our F-450. That's a really big truck for those of you that don't know trucks. I, I barely knew how to drive it. Uh, but that truck guzzles gas. It's probably making seven, eight miles. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Barber. Uh, seven, eight miles to the gallon. Uh, and, and then it's got, it's got six tires that are wearing down everywhere I drive. Um, and so it was a liability to me, except for the fact that I was traveling on the country in my fifth wheel. So then at that point, it was an asset because it got me from place to place. It got me to preach here, preach there. But the minute we came here to pastor, I sold that thing within a week. I was like, it's gone. Because at that point, it was nothing but a liability to me. So talking about a car, is a car an asset or a liability? Well, if it gets you to and from work, it's an asset. Well, I want a brand new uh, Bugatti. Okay, well, that gets you to and from work and gets you a few looks. But can you afford it? that point it's probably just a liability to you uh it's costing you too much okay let's talk about this for a moment and then we're going to be done i hope this is okay credit cards are they good or are they evil half the room will say they're evil they're devils well they're usually saying that because their parents got in trouble they're saying that because they get in trouble the truth is neither because a gun is not good or evil a hammer is not good or evil they're tools if they're used appropriately. Credit is something you can utilize to buy a car, to buy a house, right? If used properly, it is, a, it is an asset to you. If you mismanage your funds, you spend more than you can afford and more than you make, that at that point's a liability. I hope I'm helping. Is this Economics 101? Are we doing all right here tonight? Okay. Proverbs 37 and 21. Now, here's where credit can get you in trouble with God. Right? You have student debt. Well, am I going to hell, Pastor? No. You're learning. I bought a house. Am I going down to the pit? No. You need somewhere to live. I spent $1,000 that I didn't have on food and clothes and shoes. Yeah, you're in debt, and that's not good because you are going to be a slave to them. Proverbs, or, I'm sorry, Psalms 3721. I apologize. I probably told you the wrong chapter. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. It is wicked to borrow and to not pay back. And all the church said amen and amen and amen. I'm going to borrow. And then once I get, 
a lot of credit cards. I'm going to rack them up. And then I'm going to declare bankruptcy and walk away with $10 million. You're wicked. Oh, I'll go to school. And I'll get my degree. And then I'll wait and go bankrupt because I don't want to pay him back. You're wicked. Because the wicked man says, I'll borrow. You know what that is? It's called stealing, not borrowing. Hallelujah. I'm going to skip over a bunch of this. Let me just say this. Where does wealth come from? The Bible says, Deuteronomy 8 and 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Oh, they're wealthy. They must be devils. No, God gave them the power to get wealth. Ecclesiastes 5 and 19, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, he hath given them power to eat thereof and to take his portion and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Wealth and financial blessing is a gift from God. Being poor is not piety. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody say, thank God my last name is not Jaira. The Lord is my provider. You know what I'm saying? Thank God your name's not provider. His name's provider. He provides. He blesses. He gives you power. He gives you strength. Thank God for it. Let's stand all across the building. We'll read a couple more verses because we're almost done. Proverbs 10 and 4. He that becometh poor, he that he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack or a lazy hand. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Laziness makes you poor. Hard work makes you rich. God gives you the power to work with everything and all your might. Proverbs 22 and 4. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Fearing God should lead to riches, honor, and life. Not poverty, not destitute and afflicted. No, it should lead somewhere. Here's the answer for those that will be rich in this world. 1 Timothy 6 and 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who give us all things richly to enjoy. Enjoy your life. That they do good. That they also be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. That's not talking about talking. Talking about giving. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. When God blesses you, be a blessing. Proverbs 13 and 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. It is righteous to leave an inheritance so great it goes to your grandkids. But if you are unrighteous, the Bible says, it will die with you and others will take it away. Matthew 25 and 27. Thou, thou oughtest therefore to have put thy money to the exchangers, and that at my coming I should have received mine own with interest. Investing is biblical. Well, they've got investments. They're devils. No. Even God was telling a parable and saying, well, I gave you. I blessed you. You should have done something with it. All the church said amen. I'm going to help somebody right here. Ready? Mark 12 and 17. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. You know what the question was? Do we pay taxes? Please, Jesus, tell me we can evade taxes. Please tell me I don't have to give my money back to the man, Uncle Sam. And Jesus said, give what Caesar Caesar's. In other words, church, pay your taxes. Hallelujah.
Everybody said amen. And then he says, give unto God which is God's. Pay your taxes, but pay God as well. Finally with this, Proverbs 23 and 4. The Bible says, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. Anybody had money like that? What are you talking about, preacher? What are you talking about, pastor? Financial excellence. You know why? Because God puts things in your hands. And he wants to see what you'll do with it. Because money is a moral indicator. But let me help somebody. Are you saying that everybody here has got to be a billionaire and that's going to be our sole desire in life? No. The end goal is not to be rich. Because you can work your whole life, the Bible says, to gain. And in a moment's time, it flies away like an eagle. The end goal is not to become a billionaire, although you might become one. But the end goal should also not include you being broke, poor, destitute, and, and waiting on everybody else to take care of you. Hallelujah. The end goal is to say, God, what you've put in my hands, help me to be wise with it. Maybe God only blessed you to where you make $30,000 a year. God, what can I do with this $30,000 a year? I gotta pay bills. I gotta pay, I gotta do all these things. I gotta pay taxes. Maybe God bless you with $10 million. You're rich in this world. Somebody say amen. Pray, God, help me not to be high-minded. Teach me what I ought to do with this. Church, we got an obligation. Money is not just something that comes because you worked a job. God gives you the power to get wealth, and God gives the power for every last one of us to go up in life. And he says, I want to see what you're going to do with it. Lift up your hands and let's pray. Let's pray all across this house. Lord, make us good stewards of what you've given to us. There's a lot of people that are talented here tonight. God has blessed you with wisdom. God has blessed you to be a hard worker. God has blessed you to be the best at what you do. God wants to continue to bless you. God wants to continue to use you. God's going to open up doors that no man can shut, and God's going to shut doors that no man can open, and you're going to walk through those doors God's open, and he's going to bless you, and you just say and do with what it, do it right, live it right, use it right, be a good steward of what I bless you with. Let's come and pray. This is an opportunity. Let's come out of our pews. I know it's teaching, but let's take a moment and say, God, You've put money, I don't care if it's $5, 50 cents, or $5 million. Every single person in this building, from me to you, we've all been given something from God. And I'm praying, God, help me to use my talents. Help me to use my abilities. Help me to use the money you've blessed me with to further your kingdom, to bless my family, to bless my kids, to bless my wife, to bless my household, to provide, to do with what you've given me the strength to do.